Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. Lance Meadow, John Schmoke with you. 201-939-4513. Hope you enjoyed your weekend. I know uh, we were short a couple episodes on the podcast up on their website. That has been put up there. Uh, Mondays is still missing. I'll get that up um, after the show is concluded. Um, hope everybody's enjoying their summer. Less than two weeks now before players report lands. They'll be showing up uh, the rookies and uh, select veterans in about six days and then Four days after that, you'll have the veterans in the house for their conditioning test and the first practice, uh, not this Thursday, but the following Thursday, and then the marathon begins. It does indeed. It's amazing how the offseason flies by. What offseason? You know yeah, <laughs> based on what happened with the draft and everything else this season, it, we always had something to talk about every single month, but it's uh, nice to know that we're getting closer and closer to football. We're getting closer and closer to meaningful football, and before you know it, the first preseason game is going to be here too. August 9th, less than a month away. So there you go. Goes fast, absolutely. And, of course, there is some business going on in the NFL in the offseason this year. Um, we'll talk about that in a second. Just want to remind you, if you want to get in, we'll take your calls in the first half hour of the show at 201-939-4513. 201-939-4513. Get as many people as in as we can between 12 and 1230. Then at 1230, we'll be joined by Ryan Leong, who covers the San Francisco 49ers. We'll preview the Giants matchup against the 49ers. Uh, which takes place right after the bye week. So we're about halfway through the season for the New York football Giants. We've covered the NFC East teams as well, so only a few more guests, and then we'll be getting ready for training camp next week. Uh, but the offseason industry, that is the NFL, Lance, this is one of those, I won't call it arbitrary, but it's a deadline that there simply is that teams have to deal with, and that's the franchise tag deadline. If players that were placed under the franchise tag do not sign a long-term contract by... 3 o'clock today? Is it? 4 o'clock today. Yeah. Thank you. Um, they will have to play under that one-year franchise tag, which is guaranteed, by the way. You can't get cut. You have to pay that player that amount of money no matter what. Uh, there were four players that are involved in this process. One very uh, specific to the Giants and that he's in the Giants division. That's Demarcus Lawrence of the Dallas Cowboys. Um, he's defensive end, obviously a pass rusher. His franchise tag, I think, is around $17 million. Le'Veon Bell, the running back from the Steelers, he's the biggest name of the group. His franchise tag amount is $14 million. Uh, this will be the second time he'll be under the franchise tag. If you remember, he held out in yeah. training camp last year and then kind of started the season, I would say, a little bit slowly before he kind of you know hit his stride and played well. LaMarcus Joyner, um, who I believe is classified as a safety under the franchise tag for the Rams. He started his career as a corner, moved to the moved. safety position yeah. last year, played a lot better. So the Rams are trying to figure him out. Remember, I believe Tremaine Johnson played on the franchise tag there two consecutive years. So they're no stranger to having players play on the franchise tag there. And then finally, uh, Ziggy Ansah for the Detroit Lions playing under that franchise tag. Uh, that's the same as uh, Demarcus Lawrence as a defensive end. Yeah, so you have two defensive ends. You got three defensive players overall. You have one offensive player. Personally, I think if any team is up against the clock from an urgency factor, I think it's the Pittsburgh Steelers more so than the other three teams. Demarcus Lawrence had an impressive season last year in terms of his sack total. He's dealt with some suspensions, some injuries over the course of his career. I still think the jury is out. If you're the Dallas Cowboys, I would wait before I'd give him a long-term contract. And I would say the same thing, John, about Ziggy Ansah. You know, he's also a player that's dealt with some injuries over the course of his career. Got back to the level that the Lions wanted last season. I still would want to see more from those two players. And it, as far as Joyner is concerned, you know, he's still a young player who, as you mentioned, moved around. The Rams made a lot of moves in their secondary. They brought in Aqib Tlaib. They brought in Marcus Peters from the Kansas City Chiefs. You got some options there. I don't think they're necessarily at the urgency level where they got to have out a long-term deal. And to the me. safety franchise tag, by the way, isn't that hefty. Correct. It's yeah, not that bad. From a financial standpoint. What is it? It's somewhere between 10 and 12, well, right? Well, it's the lowest number yes, of everybody else mm -hmm. that you named. So, you Let know, it's not out. 
necessarily a number that I don't think the Rams can uh, say to themselves, oh, my God, if we got to play him on the franchise tag, we're going to be in trouble. 11.2 million. 11.2. Mm-hmm. Okay, so clearly the lowest number of all the positions we talked about. So that really leaves Le'Veon Bell. And Bell played under the franchise tag last year, as you mentioned. He did not come back and rejoin the team until right before the regular yep. season. Now, Bell's a polished vet. He's extremely productive. But, you know, do you want to go through these headlines and these storylines for another entire offseason if you're the Steelers? Do you also want to now have him risk the chance of missing another training camp and coming back before the start of the season. Which I think is safe to assume that he would not attend training camp if he I'd doesn't be get a long Yeah, game. if he attends under the circumstances of what played right. out last year. And, you know, it's a veteran team. You got Antonio Brown. You got Ben Roethlisberger. They're in a win-now position where certainly they can compete this year and make a run to the Super Bowl. I would want to hammer out a long-term deal. I think if you're the Steelers, the biggest question mark, John, is Bell's 26. To me, he's still good for another contract. You know, when you get to 30, then I think it's something you got to question about the running back position. If you gave him a four-year deal, do you figure that he could remain durable? Or are you worried about some of the antics going on behind closed doors here on the program? In addition to I'm that, sorry, folks. Dave, Dave, <laughs> Dave literally just pulled the phone out of the wall. Well, I thought it was quite pretty amusing. Well, I'm looking at you chuckle, and I'm trying to break down the pros and cons of Le'Veon Bell and whether or not the Steelers should sign him to a long-term deal. And we got a, a bunch of uh, characters on the other side. He literally picked up the phone trying to screen a call, and he pulled the, the whole cord out. It was you fun. can understand. I'm sorry. He, he's very animated when it comes yeah. to screening phone calls yes. on this program. We have people that are very passionate mm-hmm. about their jobs. So we will not apologize for that. But, you know, 26 years old, you give him a four-year deal, I think the Steelers are safe. It's just with Bell, the question mark is also he has only played one season, 16 games. That's a big issue for me. Injuries is a question. And then the second factor is are you worried about him being worn down because of how many carries and usage they've given him over the course of the last few years? And here's a second factor, and this goes to Demarcus Lawrence as well. How about the suspensions? Both Demarcus Lawrence and Le'Veon Bell have dealt with suspensions over the past years. You know, after you get that second suspension, you're up to eight games, three, you're done. So, I mean, that's – if I'm a team, I'm worried about that. Can you trust him to play 16 games, to not do something stupid and get himself suspended? Um, If I were the Steelers, I'm not sure how much longer Ben Roethlisberger is playing. You know, he goes from – Talking about retirement to getting annoyed that they're drafting quarterbacks. So who, yeah. the, who the who you know who the heck knows what like he's game thinking. Of ping pong with him. Yeah. Last year with Le'Veon Bell missing training camp and you know heading into the season, worked out fine. The offense is still one of the best in the league, and they lost because they their defense couldn't get a stop against Jacksonville. Nothing to do with their offense. They played wonderfully in that game. Um, and the question is, do you want to pay a running back heading into his late twenties with all the tread off the tire that Le'Veon Bell has had with his high usage? Now he's not your traditional back where all he does is run the ball. He's also a receiver. Well, that's why he's he has extra value. Very much a Saquon Barkley style running back exactly in terms he, he can is. do a lot of different things. Or you hope Saquon Barkley can be a Le'Veon Bell style running back. Let me rephrase that, obviously. But if I'm the Steelers, I wouldn't mind them playing on another one-year franchise tag and see how he does. You know, the more. Um, Evidence you have in front of you to make an informed decision, I'd be okay with that. And what bothers me about the franchise tag is that so many people and fans and media make it out like these players are being served some great injustice of having to get paid under the franchise tag. (laughs) You realize Le'Veon Bell is going to be the highest paid running back in football this year if he makes $14 million. In terms of average annual salary. It's the highest. Number one. And it's guaranteed, too. And it's guaranteed to injury. (laughs) It's a nice luxury. The biggest long-term running back contract, I believe, went to Devontae Freeman a couple years ago. I think there were maybe $20 million guaranteed in that entire contract. So he's getting as much guaranteed in one year than Freeman got in a five-year deal. 
That's why when people, oh, Kirk Cousins, I can't believe they're making him play under the franchise tag. Oh, it's unbelievable. The guy made $54 million guaranteed over two years. I'm not playing a violin for the guy, okay? Well, I'm and, just not. And the other factor is, you know, when fans say, I can't believe he's playing under the franchise tag, John, it takes two to tango. You know, sometimes the reason why the player's playing under the franchise tag is because the team gave him an offer and he didn't like the offer. And this goes back, and I, I don't want to get into the, the Beckham contract thing, but it, it drives me nuts. And I've said this to Paul. I'm not sure I've said it to you. You know, this whole idea where people just like to write, well, Odo Beckham Jr. deserves a contract. He's done what he needs to do to deserve a contract. What does that mean? Does that mean you just give him whatever he wants? No, of course not. No, everything, folks. Every contract that's been signed in the history of the planet, whether it's football or baseball or basketball, whatever it is, it's a negotiation. You can't just say, all right, well, he deserves it, whatever he wants he gets. You have no idea what the Giants are offering. You have no idea what the Beckham camp is offering. And by the way, nothing is leaked out. Because as Dave Gettleman has been very clear about, he does not talk about financial issues and contracts and things like that. He just doesn't. So it's one of those deals, exactly what you said, it's a negotiation. You have to find a number that works for both the Steelers and Le'Veon Bell. Same thing for Beckham and the Giants. It'll get worked out when it gets worked out. And both guys are under the possession of their teams, under a contract, where if they don't play, they don't get paid. And that has the tendency to helping things push things towards the goal line and make them work. You well, know, when there are deadlines, things tend to get done. It's a placeholder. It's a yes. security blanket. That's the way that I look at it, meaning you're not going to lose the player, right. but you're also still going to have uncertainty right. after this season. So if the Giants don't work out a long-term deal, they have that luxury to give Odell Beckham the franchise tag, just like they did with JPP. Right. And I'm Beckham, talking about this right. time next year. Right. And Beckham is yeah. making, he's, I think the, the, the tender was $9 million for the receiver this year. So is it a little under market? Sure, but it's also not pennies on the dollar either, you know what I mean? So, like, everything will work out, and, and there's no reason to think about it. Uh, to me, I don't think any of the four guys are going to sign today, if I had to guess. I think we'll get to the end of the day, and I think we'll be sitting here and not one guy will have signed the long-term contract. That's my guess. If I think, if I had to guess which guy I think would... I guess Joyner only because well, I because don't think value. his contract would have to be as large as like if they offered him a you know a four year forty million dollar contract with fifteen guaranteed I think he'd probably take that don't you Yeah I could see him taking that Yeah and I think that's it's, a very reasonable contract for a young guy that played really well last year It's a year. more manageable negotiation because of the numbers that they're dealing I with I think the other three guys are looking to break the bank like I think Demarcus Lawrence his agent is probably like Well he had fifteen sacks last year Why shouldn't he get paid like the best defensive end in football And for a guy that's had injuries and has had suspensions I think the Cowboys would wisely balk at that and say yeah. Well prove it for one more year and then we've all seen it Jerry Jones eventually pays his guys. It's very rare that he lets one of his star players. Other guys have walked away, like, you know, Anthony Hitchens signed somewhere else this year, guys like that. But his stars, you know, all the offensive linemen got paid. Zach yeah. Martin just got paid. And Lawrence will get paid, too, if he shows that he can be trusted for a full year again. And again, he seems like a good kid, too. No one has ever said anything bad about him off the field or anything. So we'll see what they do. And I agree. I think Ons has been too up and down for the Lions to offer him any type of really, you know, defensive end level extensive long-term deal I wouldn't make that commitment either given how inconsistent he's been from year to year yeah he and Lawrence their numbers have fluctuated John over yeah. the course of their careers so and that's playing why, 16 games for both guys has been an issue yeah, too that's why I said at the top if I'm those two teams I want to see more before I'm willing to put a lot of faith and a lot of investment in those players you know Le'Veon Bell you know we mentioned some of the concerns but Bell's got the biggest sample size 
if I'm the Steelers, I know what Bell's giving me. So I'm not hesitant from a production standpoint. He's also the oldest of the group, and he's also the guy that plays the position that tends to fall off a cliff faster than the other guys. And that creates the turnover rate. some yeah. uncertainty there. But here's the other thing. In terms of usage, what's interesting about Le'Veon Bell, when he was suspended, as you noted, they had D'Angelo Williams, if you remember, two years yeah. ago. Mm-hmm. Williams came in first two games of the season. Steelers didn't miss anything. Yeah, he played fine. I mean, he was sure. a very productive running back. They gave him all the carries. Then I know, I remember from a fantasy perspective, everybody was wondering, okay, Bell comes back. What happens to D'Angelo Williams? Is it 50-50? Is Williams still going to have an integral role? And what happened? They literally just fed Bye-bye, the Bye-bye, D'Angelo. Le'Veon yep. Bell came back. So the reason I bring that up is... Anybody on the roster currently behind Le'Veon Bell barely has any work. I mean, they give Bell all of the carries. They drafted that kid out of Pittsburgh two years ago, two years right? Ago, the one correct. that had the cancer and came yes. back from it. Yeah. I forget his Who name. Who I think is a really good back. I think he's a good back. But sure. the bottom line is he hasn't gotten any playing time <laughs> because they do everything with Le'Veon then Bell. But again, if you had Le'Veon Bell, would you want to send him on the bench? No, either? and I agree. Listen, it's the same. <laughs> no, no, I'm glad you brought that up because yeah. it's the same debates that we've had with callers about when you have three wide receiver sets. Right. Well, the reason being is you don't want to take any of those wide receivers off the field. Right. Why would I want to take my best players off the field? So it's the same thing with Le'Veon Bell and the Steelers. Why would I want to take my best running back? But I guess my point is if they just threw in six or seven carries a game to some of these others, you know, then maybe they'd have a little bit more leverage in the negotiations to say, hey, Le'Veon, you know, we got this young kid we just drafted. He proved that he could do what you can do and we don't want to see you wear down, maybe that's another aspect with the negotiation. Not that Bill and his agents are going to care about that, but that's what I would have liked to have seen over the last few seasons. I was a bit surprised that the Steelers have really put all of the shoulder of the load on uh, Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, so last year, based on my quick math, he averaged just over 21 carries a game. He played in 15 games at 321 carries. That math is easy. That's how he's able to do it. About 21 carries a game, but that includes the first week of the year coming back from his holdout, and he only had 10 carries. So... Maybe he put that up to 22 carries per game over the course if of the year. If he gets his normal load. And, and then receptions-wise. In addition to that, and that's where I'm going, 85 catches. So that, in addition to the 22 rushes, you're looking at another, it's over 15 games, you're looking at around five to six touches through the air. So you're looking at almost 30, 30 touches, touches a game. Yeah, 28, that's a lot. That's a lot. And of like you said, even though he's missed some games with suspension and injury, does that per-game workload make the Steelers like, you know, I'm worried about giving this guy a four-year contract. Is yeah. he only going to be good for one of them? And quite frankly, and I wouldn't be surprised if other – I'm not saying the Giants are going to take this uh, approach, but I think Dallas did it with DeMarco, money, uh, DeMarco Murray. DeMarco Murray, he wanted money. So. Well, and he just retired, by the way. <laughs> Correct, yes. Um, Ezekiel, Which is amazing, four years after the fact. Yeah, and it looks like they're doing it with Ezekiel Elliott. They're just going to draft these running backs, pound them into the ground for five, six, or seven years – Based on, you know, Zeke would have a five-year contract as a first-round pick. They could franchise him twice. Uh, just beat the you-know-what at him for seven years and, and then, then go find another one. Yeah. Which, frankly, with running backs, and we talked about this in the well, Giants. I was going to say, you're now going to open Barkley. up Pandora's box. I'm not yeah. going there. That, 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 you, was, yeah. that was the point of the conversation. But you wonder if that's what the Steelers are thinking. Let's get him on his rookie deal, pay him two really good, nice years. And you can, they can pay him again next year, by the way, in a third franchise tag. I think it goes up to almost $20 million, though. So it gets a little bit rough. And I think that Steelers' cap next year is... Very, very dicey as well. So I'm not sure they're going to be able to do that. I think they might be like, look, we're going to get the most out of we can uh, from this guy. And, you know, the old staying, better to move on a year or two too early than a year or two too late. So yeah. just go ask Bill Belichick how that works out for him. Well, that organization, unlike any other organization, yeah. knows how to move away from guys a year 
earlier versus yep. regretting it two or three years down the road. So I could obviously see that philosophy playing out, and I can't fault the team for doing that. Listen, we talked about it. It's well-documented. As valuable as these running backs are, their shelf lives are very short. They're fungible. And like we, we you should go back. I don't know if you've listened to it. Fiegels and I two weeks ago had an interview with the big PFF fantasy uh, – uh, not fantasy, a uh, football analytics department over there. And they basically said that for a team's running game, there's a much bigger impact of the offensive line than there is of the actual running back. Meaning having a really good offensive line impacts the running game more than having a really good running back. So that's you invest rather than invest in the offensive line and plug in a running back or invest in the running back and plug in the offensive line. It all depends on how you kind of want to look at it. Anyway, yeah. we got 10 minutes before our guest Ryan Leon coming our way at 1230, breaking down the San Francisco 49ers. Until then, I got three calls on the line. I'm going to get to every single one of you before we get started. Let's start with uh, Dave and Cranford. He was on first. Dave, we'll go to Dave. What's up, buddy? How are you guys? Good to talk to you. Doing right, well, Dave. Dave. What's up? I'm doing good. Hey, your comments about Le'Veon Bell, I mean, I think you're right. The the, the just and it's interesting having Saquon because you know he's gonna you know fall right into that kind of footstep at least that's the plan is is you know he's really making an argument that he's creating a new position that he doesn't want to be compared to a two down running back yeah and that he's more of a of a hybrid position and it's hard not to when you look at it and you compare him in in statistics I mean he was three, the charts I'm looking at, he was, you know, three in rushing yards in the league behind Hunt and Gurley last year. And if you look at receptions, it, it, uh, even within wide receivers, he, yeah, he was, was top there. ten. He was yeah. ten in, in receptions. Hey, look, in Dave, so, I, hey, look, Dave, I'm not going to argue how good Bell is. Honestly, even money for me, you guarantee me he's on the field and healthy. To me, he's the best running back in football. So I'm not going to disagree with you on that at all. I think he's that yep. good. Yeah, and and but the interesting part is I'm on the other I, I guess I'm going out of both sides of my mouth. I'm not sure that I would pay him, you know, long term. No, I, and I mean, neither I, would I. I'm the, with you. We're on the exact same wavelength. You know, so um, hey, I just wanted to make a quick comment. I'm not. I, I know you guys didn't open here, but just on on McAdoo's points, I I just wanted to say one thing about it without getting into a whole lot of the the um, mm-hmm. the bigger stuff. And that was. I really did think last year, you remember coming out of camp, um, or in camp actually, the guys were wearing a t-shirt that really made me uncomfortable, and it was somewhat, it became a little bit unfortunately prophetic. I don't remember. What's prophetic? It was um, get 1% better every day, or something like that. That I remember. And and, and I thought it was a very subtle, but, but, you know, unintended, it, it kind of said to me, and this was what McAdoo kind of talked about in some of his philosophies that came out this morning, which was they really thought they were reading their press clippings last year, going into the season a lot better. Now, he was behind that shirt and that quote. And so it kind of said, when you, when you say, hey, I want to get 1% better, it kind of says, hey, I'm, I'm pretty good. You know, and, and I thought that that was because I just remember going into the Dallas game last year saying to myself, I, I, I left that game besides just getting blown out and, and the way, but it was more the way we did where I said, wow, we went through this whole off season and I didn't see any change. So to fast forward to something more relevant, the thing that I just like about where things are coming out this year is simply the amount of positions, philosophy, players, the amount of change on this team. Now, now not all change is good. I get that. But the amount of change that you see from Shermer is so much um, more significant than I think um, that, that this team needs. 
but it's change around a basis of the roster that still had talent. It needed to be fixed. It's not as deep as it should be. All those things, injuries, I get all that. But I still think that there's a lot of reason that you see a lot more change going into this season than you did last year, and 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 again, coming off eleven and five, I get it. Yeah, I mean, but I think it was, that goes it was a saying. big it was a big mistake. I just yeah. like to get your guys' comments. Thanks for taking no, my call. Appreciate it, Dave. Thank you. Go ahead, yeah, Alex. I mean, I think Dave, you pretty much alluded to your own answer when you said the reason why the Giants didn't make as many changes the previous offseason is because they were coming off a productive season. Now, I've always said, if you look back at two thousand sixteen that given how many close games they won, I thought the record was a little misleading. It was a bit of a mirage. Yeah, it wasn't a Mm -hmm. dominant double-digit winning season team. It was a team that was good. They certainly had their strengths, certainly had their weaknesses, and they were able to hang in there and win a lot of close games. And, hey, that's what you got to do in the National Football League. But, you know, after the season, you still look at the roster and you say, hey, you know, there's some changes that need to be made. Okay, the nucleus came back. They invested a lot of money in defensive players, so you knew there wasn't going to be a great deal of movement, and you figured, hey, the offense still had a lot of youth. They had another draft. Fortunately, injuries took a toll last year more so than 2016, and it caught up with them. So, you know, obviously that's why you're seeing more changes this year. And let's also not overlook the fact you got a new GM and a new coaching staff. So, John, with that, you're going to get change automatically on the surface. Yeah, real quick, I don't want to go tit for tat. If you guys didn't realize it in Peter King's NBC Sports, uh, his first, you know, I forget what it's called, Football Morning in America, whatever now. it is. Yeah. It's, it's whatever it's the Monday morning the quarterback. Monday yeah. morning quarterback from exactly. his time with SI. Um, if you go to Peter King's uh, Twitter feed, you can link to it and you can find it. It's uh, on Pro Football Talk, which is basically the football site from NBC Sports. Um, just three things real quick. One, he talked about how he was, you know, maybe coach the players more and be less concerned with the X's and O's. Um, I think that's probably why when he first took the job, everyone kept asking him if he also wanted to be the coordinator and not just the head coach. It's probably because of stuff like that. And that's a um, challenge that most coordinators yep. always face when Absolutely. they make the transition. Mm-hmm. We talked about that a lot. And that's why Pat Shermer has uh, Coach Shula here to, to help him out, to help Mike Shula here. And even though Shermer's calling the plays, Mike Shula's handling a lot of the offensive stuff here during the week so Shermer can be the CEO and run the team, which well, I think is very handy. And just real quickly to add to what you just said, John, Shermer, remember, has gone through Correct. balancing both. Mm-hmm. And he learned a lot from that because we had Brad Childress on this program when Shermer was first hired. Childress was his OC in Cleveland. It was a great interview, too. So he said he learned a lot from that. Absolutely. Um he said he had to handle the media better, I think. <laughs> we all know that's true. Um, and it can work when you're 11-5. It's not going to work when you're 3-13. and 13. What was it? I don't know if you want to – I know you don't want to go crazy into it, but there was a funny quote that he wrote that he said he spoke to one of his colleagues, and they said, you're a smart guy, but when you talk I'll to the I'll read it media, right here. I thought that jumped out to me. This is what this is one of his buddies said to him. You're smart, but when you answer questions from the press, you sound like an oaf. An oaf, that was it. Yes. That was the quote. Couldn't remember the term. And that so. did happen from time to time. <laughs> Um, and those are the only two things I kind of want to point out from that. So, all right, we got two more calls. Dave, let's get these in before we give Ryan a call. If we're coming this with, late with Ryan, that's fine. The Niners, uh, I don't think we need a full half hour. I want to make sure I give the, our two callers the time they need. Uh, Shakes is up next. What's up, buddy? How are you? What's going on, fellas? You enjoying right, your Shakes. summer, brother? What was that? I said, are you enjoying your summer? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, my birthday is in July, so, you know, oh, there you go. I've been... Yeah. <laughs> a month-long birthday. birthday. I was going to say a summer-long um, birthday, yes. it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> Shake celebrates uh, June, July, well, August, and a little to, September. Uh, get right into yeah. this uh, running back conversation because I disagree with you fellas. And um, the reason why I disagree On um, what specifically? Yeah, well, I mean, we talked about a lot. Oh, 
and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get right to it, yeah. right? Like um, with the whole being remiss to uh, giving a second contract to these running backs and um, the shelf life of a running back. My thing is, is that when you um, when you got the running backs that's physical, that has the wear and tear, that um, carries the 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 rock thirty times a game, twenty five thirty thirty times a game all that tread on the tires, then I can see the whole five- to seven-year range. But if you use them right, like, um, you know, uh, Marshall Falk, was you had gave up on him on his first contract? No. You know, um, Indianapolis did, and look what that look what happened to that. Well, you know, Chase, and I, and I think the that's... show on, on turf. No, Chase, I'm with you, and, 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 and I think that's... I, I, no, no, Chase, I'm on, with you. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, agreed with you. I, I could go through a lot of things. Like, now... The the league is having uh two running backs, so now I feel like it's um they're they're giving up more of a shelf life to these running backs. I feel like um running some of these running backs can last to ten to twelve years. I look at Ladainian Thomason to ten to twelve. I look at um Marshall Falk. 10 to 12. Yeah, but so, Tomlinson wasn't the same running back in the last four or yeah. five years. And he also either. left San Diego. And, went and, and Chase, and Chase yeah. remember, the guys we're talking about, those aren't the guys that are splitting carries. You know, Le'Veon Bell, we just detailed, the yeah. 30 carry, 30 touches a game. Ezekiel Elliott, 30 touches a game. You know, that's why when we, they drafted Barkley, and, they talked and, about and how they had to manage I, his touches. I will be um, a little worried, like the Ezekiel Elliott that is getting um 30 carries a game every every season. Well, it's not just touches. Then it's I not can, just carries. It's I touches. I can see the whole seven to eight range with him, right? But like a running back like Alvin Kamara or something oh, like sure. that. Oh, that, sure. That's but different. But he's splitting he work with Mark carries. Ingram. But, yeah, but, but see, but exactly. Our, Shakes, uh, yeah, the, the point, like, um, the point is, though. Jonathan Stewart lasted all these years because well, he but shared he was, the carries. Yeah, he was with right? D'Angelo Williams. But, he was but also out, hurt all the time, but, too. But the point yeah, exactly. is, Shakes, those are, those are not great comparisons to Le'Veon Bell. Because Bell is on an island here, Correct. and two guys you're talking about, yeah, of course they lasted longer because, you're right, they were getting half the workload. We're talking about a guy that's getting between carries and touches. We're talking about the 25 to 28 barometer. Those guys that you threw out, Jonathan Stewart yeah. wasn't getting that much of a workload, and neither has Alvin Kamara in just one year. Yeah, and, and really it wasn't more on um, – uh, Le'Veon Bell, it was more of the running back shelf life was my point. But um, on Le um, Le'Veon Bell, even him, I would give him his second contract. Because to me, he doesn't take the uh, the hits and he didn't have the injuries to sit there and say, oh, no. I don't see... I see him wearing well, down there was, there was one in the season. next two years. He's had two like knee that. surgeries in so, his career already. He's already had two knee surgeries, if I'm not mistaken. Well, I, don't know, Bell. I, don't, I know I he think... definitely had one. One year he only played six games. I think that was the year did he tear his Achilles okay. or, or torn ACL. Did he have an ACL? Oh. I think he, I think he may have torn his ACL that year. I was I'm not sure. It was the ACL or the MCL. How long ago was that? How long ago was that? I don't know which. I don't know if, I'll look it up. Well, no, Le'Veon Bell definitely had a season where he only played six games. If you remember, I think he got hurt against the Cincinnati Bengals. If memory serves me correctly, here we go. And uh, you have see. his uh, numbers. I, apparently, oh. there's a website that's called SportsInjuryPredictor.com. Oh, well, there you go. So here's his Le'Veon Bell's injury history. Um, in 2013, he had a lift Frank sprain in the preseason, missed the first three games of the regular season. Um, in 2014, he hyperextended his knee after taking a low hit in Week 17, missed the wild card game of the playoffs. Um, tore his MCL, MCL in okay. 2015 that was the season he played and missed games. the year. Oh. 
And then um, that was the last knee injury he had was in 2015. Um, it looks like last year he had a sports hernia operation uh, on January 22nd, 2017. So those were his injuries. So he's had three or four so, injuries so that have made like him miss games. Ago, so it's like, you know, these last three years kind of, you he, know. He also had the suspensions, though. I want to throw out one more thing to you, too. Yeah, he has. He has. And so just you, one more. You can look at all those things and, and, and kind of be remiss. And I, Chase. I'm not saying you shouldn't be remiss on Le'Veon Le, Le, Bell. Me, I wouldn't. I would give him the second contract. But I can understand um, a, a pause in an organization. And shakes, shakes real quick. I'll, I'll, shakes I was real quick. As far as the, the shelf life of a running back, yeah, I, know. Like, I wouldn't give up on a, a a guy of that nature if you know he hasn't had the wear and tear and the um the tread of um. Yeah, but uh, shakes, Ezekiel shakes real quick, shakes, shakes real but, quick, um, shakes real yes. quick, shakes. Hold on one second, real quick. I want to give out two of the guys you gave me real fast, okay? Yeah. Marshall Falk, uh, after his first eight years in the league, never rushed for a thousand yards again. LaDainian Tomlinson, after his first eight years in the league, never rushed for 1,000 yards again. So those are the two guys the you mentioned. Guy you said Marshall Falk? Yep. Yeah, the two guys you threw out. Falk, after eight years, never rushed for 1,000 yards. And after Tomlinson's seventh year, in his eighth year, he ran for 1,100. In his ninth year, he ran for 730 and fell off of a cliff. His yards per carry from year eight to year seven went from 4.7 to 3.8. So even for those two guys you mentioned, you're looking at a seven to eight-year window and the Steelers have controlled Bell for seven years. Uh, the Cowboys are going to be able to control Ezekiel Elliott for seven or eight years. So why would you extend him to 10 or 11 when you're going to get the best seven or eight out of the guy anyway and then let him go? You know what I'm saying? Good point. It's a good point. Yeah. And I would right. consider, I mean, based Thank you, on Shakes. We got to run, what Bell. you said, you know, I, I would consider giving Bell a contract, but I'm not giving him, you know, a five-year deal. Would you I, give him a four-year deal? Uh, four. I'd, I'd prefer three with an option. I would count this year. You, oh, four you years, get, four years, including so 2018. Include, so you would have him sign through 2021, but all four years are guaranteed. All four. Well, I mean, clearly. I'm not, not, I mean, but yeah, there's you know guaranteed I mean. money. You know no, I understand. Yes, not you know the fully, no, no, not the Kirk Cousins type of no, 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 contract. No, 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 yeah. no, no, of course not. I, I mean, I, I would consider it. If, if I feel that the numbers are, are decent, I would certainly consider it. Because I, like I said off the top, I think Bell is still good for another contract. I just... Uh, yeah. The question is, what is the length of that contract? And can you, That's if thing. you give him a four-year deal, maybe is that fourth year set up where you can get out of it without having to owe him a lot of money? Well, that's why I said you know a team I mean? option, or Correct. I want some type of flexibility. Yeah. Where, that, where if yes. he falls apart, you can get out. Correct. Of it. That's what I would be willing to do if I'm the All right, Dave, let's go to uh, Scott in New Mexico, and then you can call, get Ryan up on the line. We'll, we'll uh, go to Ryan Leon next. Scott, what's going on, pal? Good morning, guys. How are you doing? We're doing great. Hi, what's Scott. up? Uh, I had a question. I, I thoroughly enjoyed your... Um, uh, conversation with George Shakruri. I guess I hope I'm pronouncing oh, you actually, correctly. You actually did that pretty well. <laughs> uh, and uh, he made a couple of points that were interesting. One of them I wanted to go over, uh, sure. and I'll sort of paraphrase what he said, is that in the case of Eli Manning, he's, uh, Eli Manning doesn't make the team better, but the players around him make him better. And I had some reservation with that because uh, I'm wondering if, if analysts or even fans get sometimes caught up in the minutia of analytics and forget that uh, there's a human factor involved in that and that uh, Eli on occasion has made players better. So I was wondering what your opinions were on that. 
Well, I mean, I think generally speaking, I think every player in the league is helped by having better players, right? And that's number one. Uh, right. I think the bigger point that George made that I took took out of his commentary on Eli Manning is that Eli Manning circa 2011 and 2012 was a top 10 quarterback. He was a top right. six, top seven quarterback. So he has it in him, but he hasn't played to that level since then, which I think it's 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 hard to argue with that given right. what, the, what the season has looked like. And look, let me, let me put it this way. Scott, even as a diehard Giants fan, can Eli Manning put a team on his back and carry them offensively the way an Aaron Rodgers can, a Tom Brady can, a Drew Brees can, quarterbacks of that level? Right. No, no, no. Seriously, do you think he can? I think he has the ability. He's not in. He doesn't have the mobility of the quarterbacks you just named. Well, well so, I mean, Tom Brady's not. I think he has that going against him. But as far as knowledge and what he has in his head, and right. how he recognizes uh, defenses, I think. He is on a par. He just doesn't have the mobility that those quarterbacks well, have Scott, to distinguish Scott, them. Scott, real quick, this is how I look at it, to be honest with you. I think you have okay. that top-tier quarterbacks that I think are otherworldly. I'm Frankly, I'm not even sure Drew Brees is in that anymore. I think he might, in his age, have kind of dropped down to that second group. But I think right. you're looking at Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady right now. They are on a tier all by themselves in the National Football League. Then you go to every single quarterback after that, they all need help. And if you right. put any of those quarterbacks in a situation where they don't have an offensive line or don't have weapons or they have injuries all around them, I think they're going to struggle. That's from Matt Ryan. I mean, look how much worse Matt Ryan was last year just because his offensive coordinator changed. His That's numbers true. plummeted. So I think – look, I'm not telling you they're all equal in skill level, but I think all those other quarterbacks in the league get impacted severely by the talent around them. And it takes truly transcendent, you know, all-time great – you know, Peyton Manning, John Elway type of quarterbacks to be able to succeed no matter what. And I don't right. think you're insulting Eli Manning by saying he's not on the same level as, as Tom Brady in terms of his overall oh, no, consistency of the success of his career. Yeah, I know mean, what even I mean? a guy like Aaron Rodgers has gotten hurt as a result of his offensive line. The only benefit is his mobility, right. I think, has covered up some of their issues over the last few seasons. <laughs> he's a freak Correct. show. He's, he's yeah. an athletic freak show. So, you know, you're going to have, obviously, yeah. the exceptions. And Brady also has had some rough seasons with offensive yeah. lines, and he's been able to overcome that because of his decision-making <laughs> and some of the playmakers around him. So, I mean, I, I agree with you, Scott. I think it's a give-and-take relationship. I think the quarterback makes the talent around him better and vice versa. But I think there are some unique quarterbacks that regardless of the circumstances around them, they're obviously going to be able to succeed. And, Scott, you said right. it yourself. Eli's mobility makes it difficult for him to overcome an offensive line that's not going to block well. Correct. Yeah, uh, my last question, and then obviously I'll, I'll, I'll take it off the air. Yeah. Uh, in regards to analytics, uh, which is basically just a process using recorded data to do uh, probabilities, sure. but uh, how much of that, or what would, what would, could you assess a number when you're formulating game plans, offense and defense, of how much analytics comes to play? Is it 25%, 50%, etc.? And, and again, I'll take it off. No, no problem, Scott. I appreciate it. I think it depends what you consider analytics. I think some analytics are extremely important. I think, you know, the guys upstairs and, you know, John Berger and the other people in football information, what they'll do is, like, they'll break down, like, the 49. Like, for example, the Giants are going to play the 49ers and we'll get to Ryan Long in about 30 seconds. If the Niners are really bad on short yardage defense, the Giants will be more likely to go for it on fourth and one. If they realize, you know, 
they're susceptible to a certain type of play in a certain situation based on statistics or running in a certain direction or, or throwing off play action. Those analytics are important in game planning. And I think that's the challenge these football departments have, Lance, is taking all these numbers, all these statistics, and finding the ones the coaches can use that will help them prepare for a game. You can't just give them a huge 200-page book and say, here, enjoy, make a game plan. You need to know and figure out what can help these coaches on a given day? Because there some might be some data that's really interesting, but if the coaches can't turn around and use it to help form a game plan that's going to help you win a game, it doesn't really help you that much. You know? Well, I mean, the perfect example of data is if a team has a tendency to run a specific type of play based on what you saw in right. the first five or six weeks of the season, John, who's to say that that trend is going to continue when they play you? They may all of a sudden of flip course. the script. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's where data may be able to be thrown out the window. But I agree with you. I think the percentage of success on a play is important to at least dictate what you're good or bad at. So, for example, yeah. if you're terrible in short yardage situations, you're maybe going to lean towards running a different play or you're going to punt the ball as right. opposed to taking a chance and going for it. And, frankly, how well is your defense playing? It'll determine dictate, whether yeah. or not you punt or go for field it, position, where you're on the so field. Forth, yeah. that, all that sort of stuff uh, comes into consideration. And that was, some, again, folks, if you want to check it out, um, it was two Thursdays ago. Fiegels and I had a chance to talk to uh, George Chahuri from uh, the analytics expert over at Pro Football Focus. It's the Thursday before July 4th. So you can go back. July 4th was a Wednesday. So end of June. I would go check that out if you have a sign up. It was a great interview. It stayed with us a whole hour. It's fantastic. All right, let's go to Ryan Leong. There's a great job. I've been talking to Ryan since I was producing the NFL in action with Eddie Coleman back in 2003 at WFAN. Oh, wow. And he's been covering. Yeah, I was the producer back then, Ryan. And uh, you've been covering the Niners since then. We appreciate the time today. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, first of all, I, I, noticed, I didn't realize you guys were doing a, the, this uh, podcast on video, so I had to make sure that I, I wore a little Niners gear to impart my knowledge, so I'm wearing my old-school uh, Niners starter jacket that Carl Banks will appreciate. Oh, very right. good. You know, Carl, Carl loves bringing out those yes. old-school starter jackets, Ryan. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, and then I, I, I always show him some love about you know the starter product, and I'm, I'm, I'm of course, very fond of the old-school stuff. So, anyway, that's uh, what I'm wearing to, to match you guys a little bit. Ryan, one trade <sighs> – can change the fortunes of the franchise when it's for the right player. And I feel like there was such doom and gloom and lack of optimism around the 49ers until John Lynch gets the phone call from Bill Belichick, and here comes Jimmy Garoppolo. Now you got people predicting the Niners are going to win the division, have a chance to challenge to win playoff games. Just describe for us how the feeling around the franchise changed almost immediately after you guys saw Jimmy Garoppolo play a couple of games. No, I, I couldn't agree more. In fact, I think your caller there you just had on, you guys were talking about how, how much Matt Ryan had changed because he had, a, he had a different offensive coordinator. I mean, look what happened, for instance, with a guy like Alex Smith. I'll get to Jimmy G in a second. Sure. But, you know, Alex Smith had so many offensive coordinators, he never realized his full potential. Yeah. You know, then he finally goes to, um, uh, you know, have a, have, a, have a good year with the 49ers under Jim Harbaugh. He goes on to Kansas City, becomes a decent quarterback. I mean, it, it, it all, it, it's all really dependent on your coaching staff. Now, getting to the point about Jimmy G, yeah, when the Niners got him, I mean, all of a sudden it was like, hey, we just got the number one draft pick. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the Niners were, I mean, this team was, was beyond suck. That's how bad they were. I mean, I, mean I, I really predicted the 49ers had a chance to go 0-16. That's how bad, and they were, they, they, they dropped the first nine games of the season, yeah. right? Oh, they beat um, the Giants, up, yeah. Yeah, they end up winning, they end up going on a five-game win streak to close out the season, and I think personally the turning point for me 
was when Jimmy G was able to uh, beat a Jacksonville team that, that really was stingy on defense. And the Niners ran up, like, what, a season high in points against those guys? Yep. I mean, that was, to me, the, the, when, I, when I thought, okay, these guys are for real. Uh, they're definitely going to compete, compete for the division. I personally have them making it to the divisional round of the playoffs. Well, Ryan, I agree with you. I think they're one of the most intriguing teams entering this season, and it's not just Jimmy Garoppolo. I think it's some of the young guys around him, and I want to shift gears to the running game because that, to me, is somewhat of a questionable position entering this season. Carlos Hyde's gone. They brought in Jarek McKinnon. From what I hear, Kyle Shanahan's very high on him because of his dual-threat ability, but you know, outside of McKinnon, who really is not a every-down type of back, and Kyle Juszczyk, the fullback, you know, how do you see this running game developing Who's going to be doing a lot of the heavy lifting this season? Good question. You know, that's a good question. I mean, I know check was used, I think, like 50, 53% of the time. Um, I, I, I mean, that's going to sound kind of a, like a weak answer, but we'll have to kind of wait and see. And I think by the time the Giants and the Niners play, it's not going to be until midseason, right? I think it's week 10 that they, that they meet up. Yep, Yeah. after the bye. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's quite a ways off, man. I mean, here it is. We're talking about this on July 16th. I mean, <laughs> it, you got to love the NFL, though, right? I mean, this is the only sport I can think of where you can talk about this much about a game that isn't even until, like, what, five months away from or whatever, three, four months away from now. And I think, you know, I, you know, you mentioned coaching before, and I think, you know, we've seen kind of the almost the Jay Gruden coaching tree here a little bit. And, you know, you mm-hmm. have Kyle Shanahan, obviously you have everything that happened with uh, uh, with the uh, Rams last year. And I, I, they make the most of their talent. And you take a look at the Niners' wide receiver core, and you're like, all right, you know, Marky's good one. All right, he's, he's, he's okay. Mm-hmm. Trent Taylor, he's all right, he's fine. Algic Robinson, eh, all right, he's okay. But they're marching the ball up and down the field. Can you just talk about that wide receiver core and just how Shanahan puts them in a position where they can get open and they can succeed, even if they might not have the best individual skill set? I think I think well, at least last year when you look at Marquise Goodwin, I only you guys knew knew about his personal tragedy. I believe at yeah, one point yeah. you know he uh, he he had a child that, that passed away, and then I think his uh, I'm trying to remember I think his father died. So he had I mean, he had a couple of things going on, and yet he he just he just had a breakout year. I think he he clicked very you know very well, and 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 uh, in uh, in a timely fashion with uh, Jimmy G. I mean, it didn't take those guys in any time at all to really develop a rapport. And as you guys know, I mean. There is a symbiotic relationship between your quarterback and your wide receiver that is the most important relationship to have, right? I mean, it worked with the 49ers with, with Steve Young and Jerry Rice, and then before that, you know, uh, Jerry Rice and Joe Montana. I mean, these are really important relationships you have to develop and cultivate in order to have success at the NFL level. So I think, you know, those guys are just going to continue to work with each other. And, and you know, getting back to just uh, Shanahan's relationship with Jimmy G., I mean, he's a really extensive playbook that 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 uh, that Jimmy G had a study, and, and Garoppolo picked it up in about a month. And I mean, that's why I think again, there's just so much there's so much hype and so much uh, uh, you know pr- you know good fortune that the Niners are going to be able to have a great year this year just because of that. Well, that conversation that you were listening in when we were talking with our last call also revolved around the offensive line, which is imperative for just about any quarterback in the league. And they made a lot of changes, Ryan, to the offensive line this year, the Niners. And one name Mm -hmm. Giants fans are very familiar with, that being Weston Richburg, was signed as the new center. They also drafted Mike McGlinchey. Got a big fat check, that Weston Richburg. (laughs) Got a a very nice investment from San Francisco. What do you make of the offensive line and and the changes overall that the team made this offseason? No, I mean this team is serious. I mean, I mean, I, I, again, I, I know it's going to kind of sound like it's it's kind of going in circles here a little bit, but you know, when you have a general manager and and a, and a head coach that are really behind the team winning, you have to do it by first of all saying you're going to do something, and then secondly, you have to go out and sign those players to to make it happen. And and as you guys, of course, also know, 
your center is a really important position in football. People fail to realize how important it is. And the guy not only snapping the football, but he is the first line of defense against a quarterback who, who's going to get sacked by you know the, the defensive line that's coming after him. So you know, to have a, a really a, a really strong center is key to that, and also helping to to uh, to shore up that offensive line because you really can't do anything if you can't have enough time to get out to, to get in the pocket and 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 read your defense and then make able be able to make passes. Did the um size of the investment and the speed of the signing with Richburg catch some people by surprise out there or and, and I've read this a couple of different places does he just really match the type of center that Shanahan's looking for he's not the biggest guy he's more mobile he can move he's very smart um, he's a guy that'll communicate well did he just have those specific characteristics that Kyle Shanahan wants out of his center yeah, I think so because I think the NFL has become such a faster game now. I don't, I don't think you have centers that are just like these big hulking guys that really can't move. I mean, I, I think nowadays in, in, in the NFL and every sport for that matter, you could even talk about hockey or, for instance, as, as kind of a similar one. But speed is so important these days in, in, in the league. And I think a lot of times, too, uh, you're seeing how the NFL is trying to crack down on all these really hard hits that, that guys are doing. And so I think as a speed game, where you're just trying to keep keep the ball moving and make it exciting, not only for, of course, us, but for the fans um, and for management. Yeah, there's there's no question in my mind that, that Shanahan knew exactly what he was doing. I mean, this this guy's you know he's, he's got a really good pedigree. I mean, as you guys know, I mean, his last name says it all. I mean, for for being the son of of Mike Shanahan and yeah. and implementing what he's been doing with the 49ers. I mean, I, again, a guy with a lot of high promise and 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 unfortunately, you know, failing early, but. You know, again, once you get the right pieces in place, this is why they had a five-game winning streak, and I think again, they're why they're going to compete so heavily in the division this year. Well, and speaking of Kyle Shanahan and the offense overall, Ryan, to me, what's interesting, John mentioned the winning streak they went on when Jimmy G was acquired, but also the production really went through the roof. The points per game, I thought, was extremely impressive. I mean, he came aboard under center, Ryan, and all of a sudden, the Niners' offense became one of the most dangerous offenses overall. What jumped out to you specifically in addition to Jimmy Garoppolo? Why the offense was so productive, and you know, why do you think that could very well carry into 2018? I just think the overall confidence level really picked up. I mean, I have to look back at some of the numbers now because it was you know basically almost a year ago that this all happened. But again, when I mentioned Goodwin and how much he you know he he came on and and even a guy like Carlos Hyde, even though he's not there anymore now, I mean, all of a sudden he you know he he showed you know serious interest in wanting to stay with the Forty ers I mean, it just it just takes one thing to really turn things around because, like I said, I mean it was really night and day. I mean, I was going to Niner games just before that, and nobody. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't even like give away free tickets to go to games. It was that bad and you know Levi Stadium is still a, a place that's going to be I think difficult for fans to embrace because it really you know it, 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 it's a nice venue but it really doesn't have any kind of home field advantage so this is going to be the first year where you're really going to see you know if, if, if fans can really warm up to the place and, and they can really use it to their advantage so uh, I, I just think again the over, it, it, again it's, it's an overall mindset it, it doesn't even just come down to like just one the one play but if I had to pick one guy it would have to be the play that I saw from Marquise Goodwin we're joined by Ryan Leon, covers the 49ers. Let's jump to the defense, Ryan. And to me, this is a, a boom or bust type of group. You go down the list and you see so many guys that were high draft picks in that front seven. Eric Armstead, first round pick. DeForest Buckner, first round pick. Solomon Thomas, first round pick. Ruben Foster would have been a first-round pick talent-wise, and we'll get to his specific situation in a little bit. And then this year they spend a, a day-two pick on Fred Warner, the linebacker to BYU, I think is, is going to be a good player. Uh, but last year the defense was unreliable. They gave a lot of points. So where do you think this defense is heading? Do you think a lot of these young guys can come into their own quickly enough 
to give some balance to what you're describing as an offense that's really coming into his own on that side of the ball? I certainly hope so because I think I think the biggest uh, challenge the 49ers are going to have is that what, I believe it, what Reuben Foster got a two-game suspension. Yeah, I mean he's you know, and, and the good news at least for Reuben was was you know a lot of what happened there was uh, a he said a he said she said case, and it turned out that Reuben Foster was innocent. A lot of people in the media had to apologize for uh, you know originally roasting uh, both both he and the 49ers for you know even picking the guy. He's got a lot to prove, so I think it's going to be key that the other guys are able to step up and kind of make up for his absence. Because I think once he is back, and as you mentioned with the, with the combination with DeForest Buckner and some of the other guys, I mean, they, they should be a, a formidable defense. I mean, it, it remains to be seen, though, if they're going to be able to, you know, hold teams to under 30 points a game. Because I always think 30 points to me is, is the key point uh, or, or key uh, turning point where if you score, if you're giving up more than 30 points a game, the chances of you winning football games are pretty slim. Well, and the defensive numbers fluctuated last year, but to me, what was interesting was the passing defense really took a hit. They went from 14th to 22nd yep. from 2017 to 2018. Now, Ryan, I'm sure a lot of that had to do with, I mean, we talk about the Giants suffered injuries. My goodness. I mean, who was healthy at the defensive side of the secondary for the Niners last year? They were dropping like flies. So I guess that was one of the reasons they bring in Richard Sherman. One, how has Richard Sherman looked, given he's coming off of the torn Achilles? And what do you think he's going to do for this defense? I mean, so far, I've, I, I haven't been able to see him in practice, but from what I've heard, he, you know, he looks pretty good out there. I mean, you know, again, with modern athletes, I mean, these guys are, you know, uh, uh, Adonis's, you know, and these guys really work out all the time. So, uh, you know, obviously he's not the same player he once was with the Seahawks in his prime, but I think, you know, with, with given his level of experience and respect that he has around the league, I think his presence is going to really serve as being one that leads by example, so he's, of course, going to, I think, make some plays on the field, but then also his, his age and his knowledge and experience will help to impart knowledge there as a mentor to these younger guys, and they're going to, they're, you know, a lot of these guys are very, very impressionable, so I'm, I'm, I'm more, than, more than certain that the Niners brought him in for that, for that purpose. What's his timetable for when you think he's going to get back on the field? You know, that's a good question. I would, I would hope that he's going to be back maybe within, um, you know, the second month of the season. I mean, it, it, I mean again, it, it kind of depends, you know, with, with, with the level of injuries that you have. But, again, guys are so good at, at recovering these days that, you know, hopefully the timetable is sooner rather than later. Well, Jimmy Ward, who is one of the players that they utilized at safety, I know is making the transition potentially to corner until at least Richard Sherman could come back. I mean, what does that versatility, you think, do for this defense, considering also Ward got hurt at the latter part of last season? Well, I mean, again, as, as you guys know, I mean, I mean, I, you know, football is, is, is a brutal sport. I mean, you know, guys are dropping all the time. So, you, you know, in order to have that kind of depth where you have versatility and a guy like Jimmy Ward who's a veteran player and, and can play in multiple positions, I mean, that can only help but benefit a team or any team for that matter. All right, I want to talk a little about the division. Uh, Seattle's kind of been on top of this division for a very long time. We saw a little bit of a changing of the guard last year with Sean McVay and the Rams obviously leaping up and playing great football. The Niners, as you mentioned, uh, closed the season out on a five-game winning streak. How do you see this division playing? And then you have the Cardinals, by the way. You still have a good defense, and we'll see how Josh Rosen and Sam Bradford do replacing Carson Palmer. Uh, how do you see this division playing out, and how competitive do you think it's going to be throughout the year? I think it's gonna be. Pretty, I think it would be pretty pretty good. I mean, the Niners, I, I think, will be right there with the Rams. I mean, certainly the Rams are the favorite just based on what they did last year. But um, I don't know. It could, you know, I, I certainly think it's going to be at least you know L.A. and San Francisco going back and forth at it. And then you you know you might get a dark horse in there. I, I, again, it's kind of hard for me to say right now. I just think it, <laughs> we still have a few, a, you know, a, a good month and a half before the season even starts. And I I don't know you guys. I personally start really focusing on the standings when I see uh, November first roll around.
No question. Well, I would agree with you. I, I think, Ryan, you certainly need to see at least the first quarter of the season before we make these bold claims and bold declarations. But you know, last one from me, from a big-picture perspective, and you know, the Giants can relate to this somewhat because you know they also moved in a different direction. They brought in GM Dave Gettleman. They now have a new head coach. The Niners did that two years ago. What has John Lynch done for the culture of that organization given the fact that they had some ups and downs in the last few years before he took over? I mean, I, I really think, again, it, it still just comes down to Jimmy G. I mean, the, you know, you, you sign one guy who becomes your franchise, the face of your franchise. I mean, that just right there shows, hey, we're serious. I mean, you know, the Niners, it, it's, it's funny how quickly they went from being, you know, at the top all the way down to the bottom and then back up, not quite to the top again, but, but on, on the upswing for sure. I mean, you know, you go from having, you know, Jim Harbaugh. I mean, the Niners are one play away from winning a Super Bowl. I mean, they end up having a, a falling out with Harbaugh, which in the, in the long run now looks like the Niners, you know, everything's turned out okay. But, I mean, come on, they hired a guy like Jim Tom Sula. I mean, you hired, a, you hired an, a, a, a line coach, a guy who'd never had any kind of real coaching experience. I mean, now the guy's, you know, able to enjoy a, 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 a great life. I mean, he got a huge contract from the 49ers. The Niners go and, of course, you know, had Chip Kelly as their head coach, and that was a total abomination as well. So, I mean, the culture has completely changed, believe me, guys. Although the interesting thing is you still haven't heard that much about the Niners in the media yet because we're still getting over this Golden State Warriors hangover. <laughs> and then now, of course, we're focusing on baseball. We just completed the Bay Bridge series. I mean, this is a big market for sports. I think people fail to realize that the only other market that's bigger with sports than here is New York. So the Niners right now, I wouldn't say they're, they're, they're on the back page, but they're, you know, they're at a point where you know, they're going to hopefully start getting the attention as training camp opens in the next week and a half or so. And, again, I, I really think just, just the fact that if, if the Niners can, can, can do what they, they claim that they've been able to do and, again, getting that five-game winning streak to end uh, 2017, I mean, that just, that, that just, just kind of stokes the fire for a lot of these Niner fans, I know, for, for sure. And I think uh, someone like me, who doesn't, who doesn't cover the team that carefully on a daily basis, but of course covers them throughout the season, I'm, I'm curious to see how well they're going to do. I, I think it'll be, the biggest test will be, of course, when they strap on the pads and play that first preseason game. Ryan, good stuff. We appreciate the time, my friend, and we'll see you in November. Thanks, Ryan. Okay, thanks so much, John. And Lance, good talking to you guys. You too. Good. That's Ryan Leong, covers the uh, Niners and the San Francisco Giants out there in San Francisco. Folks, we got four minutes. If you want to sneak in a phone call, we'll maybe squeeze a guy in before we say goodbye here on Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants.com, 201-939-4513. I'm not quite as bullish as Ryan. I think the Niners will be good. I think they'll be competitive. I'm not assuming a playoff spot for them. I think, I think in the NFC this year, it's a part of my French, a bitch of a conference. It is. No. I mean, there's, you have to be really good depth. to make the playoffs. So I think you're looking at a minimum 10 wins, maybe more than that this year, and it's not going to be easy. Well, I think the NFC West is going to be, you could make the case for the entire conference, as you mentioned, but the NFC West specifically, John, and Ryan talked a little bit about it. Okay, the Rams, I would really be stunned if that team falls off significantly. You know, barring, barring injuries, any injuries, I agree. That team is coming back intact. Goff is a young quarterback. Sean McVay just put his stamp on that team. Would you be shocked that they won nine games? Wouldn't be shocked. No, neither but, would I. But nine could still very well be good enough to win a wild card. Could be, but it could, might not be. Two. It may not be guaranteed. But, but would, would I be shocked if they won seven? Yes, yes I'd that be I would be. I, I'd seven. be shocked yes. if they fell to five hundred. To me, that's a team with a winning record. I agree. You look at the Seahawks. You know, Seattle. I don't count them out only because Russell Wilson has been able to sometimes create things out of nothing. It's not a rebuild for them. It's a retool because Russell Wilson's still there. Correct. So when he's still there, 
it's always dangerous. But if they won seven games, would you be shocked? No, would not be surprised Neither because I, I want to see what this defense is going to do. That's the big, the big question with a the lot Seahawks. of new faces. A lot of and new the, faces. And their offensive line still. Their offensive line, but you know what? I feel like we've talked about it in previous years, and Wilson makes up for that a little. The running game is struggling. I'll well, give you that, John. That, that's what I was more referring yes, to. Running, he needs some help. He does need some help, but despite the he any middle of the pack, and I feel like we've never really talked about the Seahawks with uh, receivers, and they still seem Russell to be Wilson. productive. Correct. So, and eventually, that's going to get the quarterback killed. Look at Aaron Rodgers. Correct. Two broken clavicles. Yes. It happens. Yes. So that's something that you have to monitor. But to me, the question mark with Seattle is more of a defensive thing. As far as Arizona goes, Sam Bradford looks like he's going to be in line to start. Yeah, I don't think they're going to give it to Rosen. So Bradford, can he stay healthy? And that defense still has a lot of weapons. Oh, sure. So do not write off the Arizona Cardinals and, uh, defense. By the way, David Johnson's back. They're running game, too. He's not bad. Yeah, and also there's a number of decent receivers. And Larry Fitzgerald still oh, seems and, to be performing at a high level. And they added Justin so. Pugh to help the offensive line. So, you know, Arizona, to me, I'd rank them, obviously, ahead of Seattle. The Rams are number one. And I think the Niners are right there with the Cardinals, John. Okay. I'm, I'm, in, no, I'm fine with that. In terms of that second-place finish in the NFC West, which means the Niners, to me, I think it would be a disappointment if they're not at least relevant in the wild-card conversation. Agree. Here's, That's where I'm looking before at Before I get to my season. last two calls, yeah. one last question for you. More likely... A wild card team emerges from the NFC West or the NFC East? That's a good question. I'm going to say that in all likelihood, a team emerges from the West. Okay, then how about NFC West or NFC North? West again. I agree. I'm with you. Yeah. I think the West and East is very close. I think the North has the least likely chance of having a second team get to the postseason. Yeah, I mean, the Bears, you still got to go through the growing pains of Mitchell Trubisky. I like Vic Fangio on defense. The Lions are Dr. Jekyll and Mr. I'm, I'm Hyde. I'm going to keep betting against Aaron Rodgers because the team around him, he's going to keep burning me, and that's fine. Well, that's, but the, that's the question, though. I because, know. see, I, know. I, I feel as— The Vikings are making the playoffs. Well, They're and, good. And I was going to say, the way I feel about the Rams is the way I feel about the Vikings. So I feel more confident about the Vikings than I do the Rams. Okay. I, I don't think that's crazy, but— mm -hmm. The Vikings, to me, Kirk Cousins substituting in for Case Keenum. I don't think you that's— so many talented players on that team. And, and, and I love the defense. That's awesome. I love Minnesota's They're defense. The best defenses in the league. I mean, every single layer of that defense, you've got multiple playmakers. It's a good problem well, to have. They're good. Yeah, they're really, really Minnesota good. Minnesota is really good. I want to make sure I get. To, I want to make sure I get to our final two calls. They just happen to play their worst game in the year at the worst possible time in the NFC Championship game. Yeah. I think if the if that Vikings team played that Eagles team ten times. I think it's five and five, or maybe even six and four, Minnesota. Yeah, I, I think that the defenses match up quite well. It was just a matter of I think the Vikings' offensive yeah. line had a rude awakening with what the Eagles challenged them with, with respect to some of the other defenses they faced. Of course, the Vikings also kind of fell, you know, what backwards into actually making it to the NFC Championship well, game yes. based on the missed tackle against By the Saints. Anyway, Williams, yeah. All right, real quick, Duke and Queens. He's up first. Duke, what's up? Hey guys, what's up? I got uh, two questions. Yeah, rapid quick. fire, Duke. Go ahead. Uh, all right, cool, cool. Uh, my first one is, um, what's up with R.J. McIntosh? Um, was was a bigger fan of him than B.J. Hill, although it was very, very close. No update. Did you real quick? A little bit quicker. Uh, yeah, no yeah. update on R.J. yet. Hopefully, whatever medical procedure he had to get done got done, and he'll be ready to go at training camp. But uh, we have not heard word yet since minicamp, so I do not have an answer and, for you on that. And can we sign him? Because we just got Sam Beal. 
So is it pos- is it possible or no? Oh yeah, they can. Yeah, they, they can sign him, of they course. Can, I mean, there's no deadline or anything no. that they're facing with nah. respect to that he's their draft pick. Folks, don't worry no, about the draft. Don't don't. Nah, they, they'll nah. figure it out. Don't yeah. worry about the draft picks okay. getting signed. It'll they're all slotted. It'll happen. It's just a matter of time. Don't worry about it. Okay, I love them. That's why. Um, second question is, um, you know, when people say, "Oh, this team is good on paper," uh, like like Eli mentioned before in one of the interviews. Uh, when I look at teams that are good on paper, like they usually do good to me. Like Tom Brady and his team, good on paper. Like Aaron Rodgers' pack is good on paper. So more often than not, you guys. Yeah, go ahead, Duke. I'm uh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, because they always make it to the playoffs anyhow. So. Um, Considering this Giants team on paper, what are the teams that you think we can absolutely beat on paper? I know, I know, there's a lot of it's a hypothetical, and there's a lot of you know things that play in the factor. But on paper, what teams do you think the Giants absolutely beat on their schedule or in the conference? On the on the schedule. On the schedule. All right, dude. Thanks for the call. Um, thanks, man. First of all, I never like to use the word absolute when it comes to the National Football League because anything can happen. But the two games, Lance, that I would feel best about if I'm a Giants fan is home versus the Bears on December 2nd. And, I mean, if Andrew Luck's playing, how good do I feel about at Indy on December 23rd? Um, well, you can say home against Tennessee, uh, Marcus Mariota. Yeah, they were the playoff team last year. They, they were. were good. They, they were good. Yeah, good offensive line. They run it. Mariota's going to be better again. Corey Davis has had a second year in the league. Yeah, it, listen, the only game I feel re- I would feel really good about, and a lot of people actually think the Bears are going to be much improved this year with I, their I, changes they made. They might be. With but you there. I guess, yeah, I mean, I guess Chicago, Tennessee, and Indy. I mean, maybe Tampa. I don't know what Tampa kind of mess they're going to be with Jameis Winston. Well, I mean, he'll be back by then. Yeah, Assuming but you, they don't, stick with him. you yeah. don't know what's going to happen. Guys, it's a tough schedule, and that's it's why the schedule. Giants can play really good football this year and go 8-8. Eight eight. It's possible. And you don't want to hear that, I know, but it's possible. That's how good the NFC is. Yeah, and they're playing the NFC South, which is, to me, the deepest division In all football. with the exception of the West. I mean, they're neck and neck, but the NFC South, all four teams have legitimate quarterbacks they don't have question marks at that position, and it's extremely versatile, that division, in terms of what all those teams can do for you. And the Saints are now respectable on defense, too. You know how you'd play the Saints in previous years? You'd be like, yeah, you'll light the Saints up. <laughs> no, now the Saints will actually stop you defensively, and we know Carolina's always had a really good defense. Assuming for a second, which I know is very dangerous to do, that Andrew Luck's going to be healthy in Week 16, which he might not be, but just assuming for a second he is. The only quarterback that the Giants will face all year that you're really still not sure about is Mitch Trubitsky. And he was the second overall pick of the draft two years ago. And you're playing him week 13, which means he's going to have an entire half of a season under his belt and you ask by him, the time you play him. And you ask any Bear fan, they're going to tell you he's their franchise quarterback. So, of course. I mean, yeah. you don't, you're, not, you're not having any— No, there's um, no gimme week. Oh, shoot. Who was what the, was that season? Wasn't there a season the Giants played like four straight backup quarterbacks? Yeah, when Aaron Rodgers was hurt for the Packers. And, Correct. Oh, what was the and name JPP of that? And JPP picked him off. What was the name of that kid? Something Scott Zeal? Tolzien. 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 Scott Tolzien. That's right. Yeah, Scott Tolzien. Scott Tolzien. Yes. See, we, that, we got yeah. there. We figured. Yeah, no, JPP had the pick six off him. Yeah, then yeah. you played the Browns that year yeah, too. Yeah, it was like, oh my um, god, I remember the that. The Bears were also in that. I think they played like the, I think they was played that... the Packers, the Bears. Was that 2015? Look I'm at 2015. Look up 15. Uh, let's see. Uh, no, didn't play Green Bay that and year. It wasn't 16. Maybe, was, you know, it? was it 13? Was my, it 16? Is it was that it? far back? Are we looking at Green Bay? Yeah, was it? No, the game? that wasn't it. 
That wasn't it. Oh well. well this no, this is the season because didn't Terrell Pryor play? That the might Oakland be the game? season, but you don't this... have all those games in a row against the bad quarterbacks, though. I'm pretty sure. Look, look up, the, the look Minnesota game. This wasn't the game where remember they set football back about 15 years. That Monday night game. <laughs> Do you remember that game? I, remember I mean, that. come on. That was a bad that game. That was awful. I mean, I I remember oh, having. Oh wait a second! You know what, Josh that, Freeman? Come on, that's this, right. This is the that season. Was it's 2013. The Lance, yes. you're right. It was because I think the Eagles quarterback was hurt that week too. Well, that I'm was the, yes, mistaken. that was the game where because you know what I think we did the radio pregame show in Philly that year. Yeah, I, and, I remember was, that. The score and, uh, was 15 Vic to got 7. Hurt. Yeah, Vic got hurt. And um, correct, Matt Barkley came Matt in, Barkley, and he threw an right. interception down the field. I think Antrell Roll picked him off. He did, and, and then the Raiders had like a really bad quarterback that year Terrell, too. Terrell Pryor came in because um, their starter was Who hurt. Who was their starter? Oh boy, I don't. Boy, see. you're right. That I was. I don't know. That was a st- bad stretch of quarterback. Yeah, Pryor started that game. I'd have to go back. Eleven and look of at their twenty-six stats. for hundred and twenty-seven yeah. yards. But you know what's like, funny about that game? The Raiders score right. an early touchdown because of bad field position, or the Giants right. turned the ball over, yeah. and then it went all downhill from that perspective. <laughs> oh man, that season was memorable. Not necessarily Giants fans, I, 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 but I it was remember, memorable. If you covered the team, you yeah. remember a lot of those games. All right, Charlie in Portland, Maine. He's going to wrap us up. Chuckles. John, hey Lance, how y'all doing? Okay, Charlie, you only got time for one point today, but then we got to go. We were doing much better before you called, but okay. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Why why are we bringing in all these veteran guards? We must have like five veteran guards that we brought in on the offensive line, and we haven't brought in one veteran tackle. Because the veteran guards can still play football and the veteran tackles you want to sign can't. Well, there's one tackle no, out there. That's not true. That is not true. <laughs> no, we got is... a blind spot. This organization's had a blind spot for the last five years Charlie. on tackles. I know we brought Charlie. in Solder, which Charlie. is great, but we should be bringing in a veteran tackle. If they, at thought, least one. If they thought they could play, they'd be here. I promise well, you that. They might not think they can play, but they can play. There's guys out so there. So why aren't There's they on another roster? Then why? I don't understand it. Charlie, Charlie, why, I don't understand why it. every team in the NFL wants a good backup tackle? Why haven't they signed with any other team? A lot of them have the good backup no, tackles. They, they don't. Find people. They absolutely no. don't. Most Tackle teams. is the thinnest position in the league right now. Yeah, Charlie, what, had... did da- what did Dallas do with a stacked offensive line? Who did they pick up? Yeah, Cameron from, Fleming uh, could play. Yeah, Fleming. I would have yeah. been 100% yeah. in favor of the Giants signing Cameron well, Fleming. And, and I had no problem with that. Well, but, but let's be fair here. The Cowboys last year, I also felt picked up some veteran tackles, and then Tyron Smith misses two games. How'd Chaz Green and, and Byron Bell do? There you go. They stunk. What happened to that Dallas offense? Atlanta made mashed potatoes out of Dak Prescott. If you Adrian go back. Claiborne had seven sacks. Yeah, so, seven! So the point is... In one game! The, the, the reason I bring that up, Charlie, <laughs> because clearly I love just reliving history with you. It's deja vu all over again every time he calls in. I feel like I've answered hey, yeah. and asked this. Lance, but, you live in the 80s with yeah. Michael Jordan. That's oh, where you live. <laughs> yeah. Well, he does. That is true. <laughs> by, the way, by the way, not the 80s. Lance Lance was barely born in the 80s. Oh, that's he lives, not true. He lives in the early 90s. It was. It was a long time. The early 90s. 90s. Hey, I want to say one thing about wait, McAdoo. Wait, wait. Uh, Jordan Renard said something about at least he's, you know, he's confident. He has conviction. And I say, well, conviction can be dead wrong. That's and if you don't under, if you don't, if you can't be like a willow tree and not an oak tree, when the wind comes, you bend, an oak tree breaks, you, you gotta be able to adapt and adopt. Charlie, and here's that how, was one thing yeah. he could not do. Charlie, here's how I look at adapt it. Adapt and adopt. If, huh? it, 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 if you're trying to get to location X, 
And in order to go to location X, you have to drive to the west. But when you make your turn down the street, you start driving east. It's great that you have conviction driving to the east. <laughs> Guess what? Every second you drive in the wrong direction, you're getting further away from where you yep. want to go. Exactly. And that was my point. That was my point, anyway. And that was McAdoo. That was his fault. Right. But anyway, we need some veteran tackles, please. Well, but see, Charlie, th see, what I was going to answer before you then took us sure. to a whole other tangent with Michael <laughs> Jordan, which I could have a whole other show on. But and we're not. For the sake not of John, here. We're not going to do that uh, here. Dave will pull the plug so fast, you have no All idea. Right, so let me get back to topic here. The, the reason why I brought up the Cowboys is the Cowboys had some volume at tackle, and then the guys never produced. So your answer is you just want bodies here. Bodies here is great, but the production is what matters. And if they don't feel that those bodies, by bringing them in, are going to be productive, they'd rather evaluate the guys that are in-house. And plus, nobody's put pads on yet, Charlie. That's the other thing. So who's to say that maybe the Giants don't bring in a tackle the second or third week of training camp if they're not content with who's playing behind Nate Solder and Eric Flowers? I know, but they, but the, that, yeah, I, yeah, but the I guys, but, because but here's the thing, thing is, but, but we Charlie, got a thousand guards and they keep bringing veteran well, guards because, in. But, but Charlie, all the guys, sense. all the tackles that you're campaigning for, because I know how carefully you look at all the free agent tackles, analyzing and, film. Yes, oh, yes, tons of hours of film, more so than Paul DeTino. And <laughs> you have to understand, those guys are still out there. So if you sign them today versus you sign them three weeks from now, I really don't think the market is going to drastically change. Well, all I know is we better bring him in because the flowers basket's got a hole in it, and it's had a hole for three years, and it ain't going to get any better. So that's all I'm saying. He is a weak link, and they're going to see that, and well, they're going to find that out. And, once the and there better be some on. guys left to bring in because they're going to need them. Thanks, guys. All Talk right, to you all later. Always Thank a you, pleasure. Charlie. Appreciate it. Hearing from Charlie, yes, and talking about the offensive line. That was a stunner. We did not expect that conversation <laughs> to take place on this program. Newsflash. Charlie calls, you're going to get some offensive line chatter. That's why they can't put the pads on soon enough so that Charlie can actually analyze some of the offensive linemen as opposed to purely speculating that they should go out and sign an entirely new team. Of course, then he'll ask us what we saw at practice from the offensive line, then he'll tell us we're wrong. Well, <laughs> well because Charlie's got a camera that he somehow implemented uh... on the field secretly during the night. He comes in from Maine and... He has uh, his different angles that he could study. Are you on tomorrow's show? Yes. Is it me and you're you again? You're all week, yeah. Oh, that's right, because the, Paul, did, by the way, folks, if yes. you're down at the Jersey Shore <laughs> and you see an unnaturally tan man that's glowing, <laughs> that's walking unnaturally fast unnaturally down the beach, muttering to himself about the offensive line <laughs> and the running game and the trenches, just walking going, trenches, trenches, no, trenches, but, trenches, trenches. That's Paul DeTino. But you know, what, you know what's <laughs> funny about Paul? When we had no shows the week of July 4th, he sends me a text because we were doing the first show. He's like, oh, my God, this was the roughest week. I couldn't take it anymore. I'm dying to get back. I can't do it. And th so then I'm saying, to Paul, what the hell did you go on vacation now <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> well, I'm not complaining. But what I'm saying is he just had a week off, and then he goes on another vacation. Well, he wants to actually go to spend time with, well, I understand with the family. That, At least I think he does. I'm worried about his well-being <laughs> mentally. And how he's not going to be able to talk Giants football. But you're right. He's going to make he's loops walk around the beach. the beach. And then he's going to talk to himself. Glowing He'll bronze. To himself. Do you know how dark yeah. he's going to be when he gets back? We're going to have to have Dave set up another light for him. It's I'm not going to be able to sit next to him. <laughs> no, no, you're not. You're not. You are going to look like the palace man alive I'm next to Paul I'm going to look like Casper the Friendly Ghost.
That's what's going to happen with me. I'm not sure how friendly you are. Yeah, well, that's true. Maybe that's a term we'll have to switch in and out of. Casper the Grumpy yes. Ghost. Yeah. Anyway, folks, we'll see you tomorrow. Uh, what will we preview tomorrow? <laughs> see how you're on top of things. I'm really on top of things. <laughs> we'll do the Chicago Bears Thank you. Tomorrow. We got the Bears yes. tomorrow. We'll see you then on Giants.com. <laughs> the planning on this show is 100. Uh, we'll have, have somebody on. We'll see yeah. you then.